Newt Rockney was his name. He was, is known in the college football hall of fame as being identified without question as America's, American football's most renowned coach. And here's a picture of him here, Newt Rockney. Now, he tragically died in an airplane crash while he was still relatively young. But some 80 years ago, Notre Dame had a big game with USC Trojans in college football. And the fighting Irish coach, Newt, knew that this other team was far superior than his own. They had an unbeatable record for that season. And he was trying to think, how could I possibly compete with this other team? Well, this is back in the days of before all the regulations that there are today. And so he went out into South Bend, Indiana, and scoured and looked for anybody who was over six feet tall and over 300 pounds. The biggest guys he could find. Now, I don't have a picture of the biggest guys he could find, but this was the time of football where you just had a leather cap almost for a helmet. So he scours around and he finds the biggest guys that he can find. He puts them in Notre Dame uniforms. And as they open up the game and all the players come out, he leads with about 12 or 15 of these enormous Goliath-looking guys. And as they run out onto the field, you can just see the intimidation of the other team. It's incredible. This is back before you probably did all this research and knew exactly who was on the other team. You, you know, you'd get in the bus and you drive forever and, and you see who you're going to match with that night, right? Well, they were quite intimidated. And of course, the real team players were behind these big guys. And the big guys in uniform never played at all, but they sat right there on the front line. USC watched those Giants line up, and they forgot about their talent and their undefeated record and began mentally preparing themselves for defeat. I can't quite imagine playing football without all the protection that we have today, but his trick worked. And his team played as hard as they had ever played, and at the end of the game, they came out on top. Isn't that amazing? An undefeated team by one that really was far less superior, but the mind games in the heads of the other team that were played, the tricks that were pulled, and all of a sudden they just thought there's no way. There's no way. Does the devil ever use intimidation tactics today? Does he play mind games with us from time to time? Does he ever play on our insecurities, do our best to overwhelm us? Perhaps this semester you have a new teacher who is very intimidating. Their syllabus is very intimidating. Their requirements, what's going to be due and how quickly and on and on and on. I remember one teacher at the seminary assigned so much reading and somebody in the front, there's always that guy that asks the question that you wish you could ask, but you don't have the guts to, how can we do all this reading? We're not going to be able to make it. And the professor just very plainly put, if you try to read all of these word for word for word, you will die. 
I thought, okay. You must skim or you will die. This is master's course level. Intimidation. Perhaps it's, a, perhaps it's a new boss, a new coworker at work, and they seem very self-assured and confident, so much so that you feel intimidated. Maybe the nominating committee will be calling you in the next few weeks, and they'll be asking you to do something that you just honestly feel a little bit scared to do and to take on. Is this something that you really could do? You know, I can't help but think of Moses passing the mantle to Joshua. And the word intimidated certainly comes to mind. I mean, stop and think with me, if you will, for a moment. Moses had been trained in the king's palace in Egypt. And he'd been called in a miraculous way through a burning bush experience. And God used him, Moses, to announce the 10 plagues that fell on on Egypt. Moses was the one that stood up against Pharaoh and his rod turned into a snake of all things. It was through Moses that God did the impossible and parted the Red Sea. Then at Marah, God, through Moses, turned the bitter water sweet. And God, through his servant Moses, brings water forth from a rock and his staff. It's Moses who meets with God up on the mountain and receives the Ten Commandments. It's Moses that oversees the building project of the sanctuary. And on top of it all, we read in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. It was Moses that sent spies into Canaan. And all the spies, except for Caleb and Joshua, discouraged the people, and the people rebelled and were condemned to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until all those that had rebelled had died. But because of Moses' sin, his one slip-up while under pressure, we read about it in Numbers chapter 20, Moses commanded to speak to the rock, but instead he strikes the rock twice, ruining the analogy that God wants to give. And furthermore, he brings credit onto himself. Must we bring water out of this rock? And as a result of his sin, he's not allowed to lead the children into the promised land. And so, Joshua, it's you. Go get them, buddy. And we read here in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Then again, in the seventh verse, again we read, be strong and of good courage. The Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Just in case you missed it, we're going to say it again. And then a third time in Deuteronomy 31, then he inaugurated Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, what? Be strong and of good courage. 
I will be with you. Three times in that chapter, we see those familiar words, be strong and of good courage. Why? Because the Lord is with you. That's why. Over and over it's repeated. And why is it being so ingrained into Joshua? Is it perhaps because God knew the challenges that Joshua would face? The challenges of the times, the challenges of the surroundings. Could it be that God knew Joshua's insecurities? For whatever the reason, the command is repeated over and over again. Because Joshua is going through a time of transition. Perhaps someone here finds himself in a time of transition. Maybe you were recently married. Maybe you were recently separated. Maybe you're a first-time parent or experiencing empty nest. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe for the first time in your life, you're unemployed. There's new responsibilities at work, or you just retired from work. You moved to a new area, or perhaps one of your closest friends is moving out of the area. Maybe it's a diagnosis that changes everything. It's chronic pain, a fatal diagnosis. Maybe it's a parent that's moved in with you and everything seems to have changed quite drastically. Whatever it is, I'm quite certain many here today are going through some significant transition. And in the midst of transition, we tend to feel insecure, not up to the task, not possessing the right skill set, not able to fulfill the expectations placed on you. If so, we might do well to consider God's words to Joshua. Be strong. Be courageous. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, the three points are reiterated yet again. But this time, with a little bit greater insight, we read there in Joshua, chapter 1, verse 5, God says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, says in verse 6. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Be strong and courageous. In what? I would say be strong and courageous in your uniqueness. Be strong and courageous in my law, which represents the basis of God's character. 
Be strong and courageous in preaching the distinctive three angels' messages of Revelation 14. In a time of pluralism, in a time of social norms and social pressures, in a time of supreme court rulings, in a time of unheard presidential debates, be strong and courageous. In a time where counsel is ignored, in a time where people say that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is merely a piece of the puzzle, in a time where people say evolution and creation, those can coexist, there's not a problem. In a time when spirit of prophecy is marginalized, in a time where evangelistic efforts are being labeled as ineffective, be strong and courageous. For behold, God's judgment hour has come. It is time for God's remnant church to arise to proclaim the three angels' message in its entirety with holy boldness and with courage. It is time to give the trumpet a certain sound. And who are these people? These are the people that meditate on the law of God day and night. These are the people that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Friends, it's time to be bold and courageous. Not in self, not in our own ideas or in our overly inflated opinions of ourselves or our traditions, but to be bold and courageous in Jesus Christ and the mission he's imparted to us to be faithful to him and to his law, to be a peculiar people so we too can cross the Jordan and go home. Education, page 57, says this. The greatest want of the world is the want of men and women who will not be bought or sold, men and women who in their innermost souls are true and honest, men who do not fear to call sin by its right name, men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle is to the pole, men who will stand for the right, though the heavens fall. In a world that is morally twisted, sex-centered, thrill-jaded, spiritually dwarfed, God is looking for men and women of integrity. Men and women who will not be bought or sold. Men and women who are in their inmost souls are true and honest. Who are true to duty and stand for the right though the heavens fall. Do you want to be one of those men or women? Do you want to be part of something bigger than yourself? Do you want God to use you in powerful ways to build up his kingdom? And do you want to see him do big things in your life that only God can do? But all too often, the devil sneaks in to intimidate, to remind you of your past failings, to discourage any idea that you can make a difference to remind you of just how incapable you are. But God's promise is not just to be bold and courageous. 
Verse 9 says, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I like this verse too. In 1 John 4 verse 4, it says, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Can I hear an amen? Amen. We are not called to be strong and courageous in ourselves. We are called to be strong and courageous in Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. I imagine Joshua had some doubts. And that's why seven times God reminds him, be strong, be firm, be confident, be courageous, be bold, for I, the Lord, am with you wherever you go. When God called Moses, you remember he too was intimidated, filled with doubts and questions. Have, I, have, I, have, I, have, you, have, have you considered my, 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 my brother Aaron? He may have said. Who, who, who am I that I should go to f- f- Pharaoh? Yet over and over in God's patience, he says, I will send you. I will certainly be with you. I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you should do. When Jesus called his disciples, they didn't have it all together. They were rough around the edges, but they had a few qualities that were essential for what God wanted to do. Desire of Ages 249, they were humble and unlearned men, those fishers of Galilee, but Christ, the light of the world, was abundantly able to qualify them for the position for which he had chosen them. Who qualifies? Christ qualified. Another one of my favorites, Ministry of Healing, page 182, nothing is apparently more helpless, yet really more invincible than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly on the merits of the Savior. Isn't that beautiful? Here's another one from Desire of Ages, the next page. The lives of these men, talking about the disciples, the characters they developed, and the mighty work that God wrought through them are a testimony to what He will do for all who are teachable and obedient. That's for all of us. If he can do it with them, he can do it with you and with me if we are simply teachable and obedient and humble. And here's another favorite. And this one blows me away. It says there's no limit What's the limit? That's a cap. That's the most you can do. The minute, you know, you can't work more than these amount of hours. You can't do this. You can't do that. There are limits. As human beings, we have limits. But this says there is no limit to the usefulness of one who by putting self aside makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit upon his heart and lives a life wholly consecrated to God. I can't even fathom that. No limit? No limit. What does God want to do with you? 
And if so, what do you have to do? I have to try harder. I have to put in more hours. I have to study harder. I, 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 no. Put self aside. Make room for the working of the Holy Spirit in your heart and your life. Be wholly consecrated to him. That's your focus. Each day, wholly consecrated, wholly consecrated, wholly consecrated. Put self aside. Spend time in his word and just give your day to the Lord. Give your life to the Lord each and every day. And he says, there'll be no limit to what I can do through you. That's the power of God. That quote's amazing to me. But, you know, it really shouldn't be. Should it? Because it has nothing to do with what I can do or what you can do or any of us can do. It has everything to do with what he can do. And to say he can do any less is to doubt his power in my life. I'll put self aside, make room for the Holy Spirit, and live a life holy and completely consecrated to God. There is no limit of what God can do. The focus is not my plans, my ideas, or anything else. The focus is on Christ. I'm afraid too many here have been putting limits on God. We limit him to a day of the week. We limit him to a time of the day. We limit him to an amount of time. We limit him to a certain area where it's safe to be religious. We limit him in the ways he wants to use us. I'm sorry, God, that's not my skill set. Try again. And we limit God. But what if we listened only to the voice of God? What if we surrendered totally to him? What if we asked him to take away our pride and our selfishness, our ego, our desire to be noticed and praised and lived a life not partially consecrated to him, but wholly consecrated to him? What does God long to do through you? And through me. You've heard it before. If God calls you to it, how does it go? He'll see you through it. God doesn't call the equipped, He equips the called. And it's true. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So maybe you're in a time of transition this morning and you have doubts and fears and feelings of inadequacy. If so, I urge you, don't let the devil play mind games with you. Don't fall to his cunning tricks. Don't worry about those supersized players on the sidelines. Don't let him cause you to forget that God has an undefeated record. Don't let him fool you. With God on your team, you are far superior. Remember who's on your side. 
And I challenge you and me both this morning to cling to Jesus Christ in whom our confidence rests. Cling to Jesus in whom our power lies. Cling to Jesus through our, because our victory is secure in Him. Cling to Jesus and He will guide you and teach you and He will enable you. Cling to Jesus because when you surrender fully to Him, there is no limit to what we can do for Him. Cling to Jesus. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Dear Heavenly Father, we need you. Not just a little bit, but we need you totally and completely. And we're asking you just now to saturate our lives, that we may be wholly consecrated to you, that you will root out our pride and our selfishness and replace it with your spirit and with a holy boldness and courage and strength to be about your work and in your way and leave all results to you is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.